Be with me, please. Chapter 3, verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, for your goodness to us, Lord, and your love for us as demonstrated and provided for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have loved us with an eternal love. And Father, we are yours, and you've made Christ to be ours through the redemption that we've received through him. And so, Father, may we today, as we consider these truths from your word, as we, uh, Lord, contemplate the truth of Paul's letter, uh, what he has stated thus far in this portion of the letter, and the text which we will examine this morning, we pray that we might have receptive hearts to the truth of Christ, who is our heavenly master, and Lord, that we might as well understand the importance of uh, Christ being manifested, his life in and through us, and all of the relationships which we share uh, together as humanity. And we pray that in all things that you will receive the glory and honor that you so rightfully deserve, Lord, not only as in these moments that we've gathered, but Lord, more importantly, as we will go forth from this place today, and Lord, as we will go about our, our lives in the world in which we live, in the workplace and such, I pray, Father, that we might have uh, submissive hearts and minds to you as our Lord, the one who is preeminent, the one who is above and before all. And Lord, that in that, others may see the truth of the gospel. As we declare the truth, may they see that same truth of the gospel lived out within our lives. And may you receive the honor and glory and all that you will accomplish thereby. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. As we've discovered throughout our previous studies through Colossians up to this point, Paul lists a summarization of all human relationships. And with the exception of the masters in chapter 4, verse 1, all of these are sandwiched between, again, verses 17 and 23 of this third chapter. And so even in, in dealing with servants and how they serve, that in reality would still include masters because even masters are servants of the Lord. And so we have to remember that to be included. And he says in verse 17, if you recall, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And verse 23, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And so again, I don't believe it's by coincidence by any means that these two verses, speaking of whatsoever we do in word and deed, whatsoever we do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, not being man pleasers, but rather pleasing unto God, that all these relationships, and again, masters is in chapter 4, verse 1, I understand, but remember, even masters are servants, and that's what you must remember. So all these relationships that are present within uh, humanity are in reality sandwiched between these two statements. So whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so again, to be reminded, all of our horizontal relationships, all of them that we share among one another, are to be a reflection or reflective of our vertical relationship that we possess with our Heavenly Father. And for this reason, throughout our study of this epistle and of this passage, I've reminded you that these truths and these verses must not be isolated from the truths that Paul has already established within the previous verses of this epistle and this chapter. And again, we look at chapter 3, verse 1, and, and Paul is again dealing with this practicality of 
the preeminence of Christ. He's dealing with Christ being preeminent. That's the theme of the book of Colossians. And that Jesus is above and before all. And so we are to recognize, we are to acknowledge his preeminence. And Paul in chapter 3, if you recall, he begins by saying in verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Verse 3, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear then shall you also appear with him in glory. Now, based on these truths, Paul then goes on to state, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, and he lists the deeds of the flesh, and he talks about dying or putting to death that, that the flesh with all of its deeds. And then he says that we also are to put on, we're to put off the old man and his deeds, and we are to put on the new man, which is after Christ, the image of him that's created him, which is Christ or God the Father, we are made in his image, of course, but then we are regenerated, we are born again, we are redeemed, which is the image of Christ, the new man, the, the risen Lord. And Paul begins in chapter 3 by saying, if ye then be risen with Christ, so mortify your deeds, put off the old man, the deeds of the flesh, and the old man, the flesh, put on the new man, which is, again, created in the image, or in this case, it's, we're recreation of, of the image of Christ, we're being conformed to his image. And so he then moves into this realm of the relationships that exist between humanity. And so as I've told you, we cannot just come to verse 18 of this text, which deals with wives, and all of a sudden I that passage or this verse from the entirety of what Paul has established up to this point. It's imperative that we acknowledge and recognize that there is a, a, uh, or that there is a connection that exists between these verses and these statements and these I've, I've told you this over and over again, but as we conclude this portion of the text, I again want to remind you of these things, that we not move into this realm of thinking as though, okay, now Paul starts talking about the home and how we're to have a better home. That's not the point here at all, and you must understand that. Paul is saying, if ye then be risen with Christ, and he begins by exhorting the wives, if ye then be risen with Christ, wives, verse 18, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. And wives, of course, are to submit to God's order in the home in a proper manner, which is what's being stated, as the Lord has declared. And again, I said to you before, many times these verses, such as Ephesians 5, which we will go to again this morning, or Ephesians 6 in this case, but in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 concerning the marital covenant relationship, many times these verses are read into rather than drawn from. And for instance, in this statement, when it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, this is not at all an exhortation to the husband at this point. This is an exhortation to the wife. And again, the importance of that being that God is not telling us, Paul is not instructing men to get control over their wives. He's commanding women to understand and submit to the order God has placed in the world, and that is that husbands are the shepherds and that wives are to, are, are to be shepherded by the husbands and are submit to that leadership in their homes. And so this, again, is in no way indicating some, uh, some or implying some domineering exhortation to men at all. It's saying, wives, you are to submit to God's order. But then he moves on to the husbands in verse 19. If ye then be risen with Christ, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Husbands, again, are to shepherd their wives and their homes in the manner that Christ loves and leads his church. So men are responsible to shepherd their wives and shepherd their children consistently and, and do so in the manner in which Christ shepherds the church. Paul then exhorted the children, if ye then be risen with Christ, verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And children are to obey their parents in submission again to God's order as their parents 
exemplify submission to the Lord in their relationship one with another. So as husbands are submissive to Christ who is their head, remember in Corinthians, I continue to remind you of the statement Paul makes. He says, for the head of every man, or the head of, the man, head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Uh, and so he says, you know, the head of, 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 of the woman is the man, the head of man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. Christ meaning in the flesh is what he's talking about, not the person of Jesus eternally, the, the very son of God or deity, but rather the flesh of Christ. He submitted himself in the flesh unto the heavenly father. He humbled himself. And so it's saying that, that the head of the woman is the man. This is God's order. The head of man is Christ. and The head of Christ is God. God has an order and we are to all submit to that. So as parents submit to this order, if husbands are submitted to Christ, wives are submitted to Christ by submitting to their husbands and that spiritual that is to be present in the home, then children are to submit to their parents, but the parents to be setting the example, exemplifying what it means to submit to the Lord and to be in subjection under the headship of Christ in God's order. And then we were told last week as we considered verse 21 that within this Paul's exhortation, within this uh, family dynamic, uh, that if you then be risen with Christ... Verse 21, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And so Paul explained in his epistle to the church at Ephesus, which we examined last week, and just to remind you, in case you haven't been with us, that in this passage, we have been continually going back to Ephesians, because Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, or epistle of Ephesians, Paul actually expounds in much detail these same truths that he summarizes, or briefly or generally deals with, here in Colossians. These are sister parallel passages, but there's much more detail to them given in the book of Ephesians. So we've been referencing Ephesians. In Ephesians 6, 4, he says, and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So parents are to rear their children. They are to nurture their children. They are to love their children. They are to discipline their children. They are to instruct their children in the Lord. We are to live the example of submission before our children, as we submit to the Lord ourselves, demonstrating the importance of God's order. Again, this is not a command for parents to tell their children, do as I say and not as I do. Rather, it's to do as I say, but follow the example of me submitting to the headship of Christ in my own home as well. And so this is important to recognize. The exhortation is for all believers to live as those who are risen with Christ. And that's what we must understand. If ye then be risen with Christ, wives... Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. If ye then be risen with Christ, husbands, love your wives. Be not bitter against them. As Christ loved the church, be not bitter against them. If ye then be risen with Christ, children, obey your parents. If ye then be risen with Christ, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but rather uh, don't, don't, don't allow them to be discouraged by your actions, but rather you are to encourage them in the Lord while you instruct, teach, discipline them, and shepherd them in a godly fashion, in a godly manner. And so this is true for all believers. So this is true not only in the home, it begins there obviously, but it's also in the world or in the workplace. And let me actually back up a moment because prior to even dealing with the relationships that are horizontal among humanity, notice Paul begins, if ye then be risen with Christ, set your affection on things above. Did he not say that? That we are to, we are to uh, focus and have our attention. So first and foremost, the individual is to be mindful of of the preeminence of Christ and submit to the preeminence of Christ themselves. Then, in all their relationships, that same acknowledgement of the preeminence of Christ is to be demonstrated or exemplified 
in the marriage first, in the home first, then in the, in, in the home extending to the children and children to parents and so on and so forth. But this is true not only in the home, but also in the world and also in the workplace. And that's somewhat what is being dealt with here within this passage. So let's continue in verse 22 now. But again, I want to preface with verse 1, the first statement. If ye then be risen with Christ, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. As we've done throughout the study, again, we will look to Paul's epistle of Ephesians, which is the parallel passage of our text. And this parallel passage is found in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, where we read, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye, masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So in his epistle to the church at Ephesus, Paul consistently, if you recall back to our study through that passage, or if you're familiar with the epistle itself, Paul consistently reminded the reader that every relationship is to be an overflow of our relationship and fellowship with our Lord, as I previously mentioned. And therefore, due to this, these relationships are not merely physical in nature, but are to be spiritually rooted. In other words, hear me. The point Paul is making in Ephesians, which is now overflowing to Colossians, is that every relationship that exists between humanity is to be spiritually rooted, not just physically on the surface of relationship, not a facade of a relationship, not some, some, uh, some uh, hypocritical appearance of a relationship, but rather it's to be deeply rooted from and out of our relationship with Christ as individual believers, as marital, as those joined in a marital covenant relationship in, in husband and wife, and as well as children within that home, and then the, the fathers and parents towards the children and children to the parents. But then again, it extends beyond the home. It extends now into the world or into the workplace. So let's look at this from Ephesians quickly. Ephesians 5.22 Wives are to submit unto their husbands as unto the Lord. Pay attention to this, please. Notice the common denominator in all of this. Ephesians 5.25, husbands are to love their wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 6.1, children are to obey their parents in the Lord. And Ephesians 6.4, fathers are to teach their children in the nurture and admonition of of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 5 through 7. Servants or employees are to be obedient as unto Christ, doing service as to the Lord. And then Ephesians 6, 9. Masters or employers in this case are to lead knowing that your master also is in heaven. The relationships that are listed obviously have this common ground in the Lord as unto Christ, as unto the Lord. And it's consistently taught that these relationships, again, are rooted in a spiritual truth, not merely a physical relationship that exists. And so the relationships within the home are first in importance regarding God's purpose of reflecting the glory of the covenant relationship between Christ and his church. 
Again, one of the tremendous truths of the marital covenant uh, relationship is that it's not about a husband and it's not about a wife and it's not about the children. This is to be reflective of the relationship between Christ and his church. This is to be the focus. And everything that that relationship demonstrates should represent the truth of the relationship between Christ and the church. For this is one of the primary means, obviously, as part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the glory of God is being demonstrated through his church, is through the, the relationships within the home. And so we understand that that is foundational, and we should understand that as foundational, concerning the glory of God being revealed between the relationship of Christ and his church. However, as we also have discovered from this passage of Scripture, both in Colossians and as well in Ephesians, including our text this morning, God's purpose of revealing the beauty of his relationship with his children extends beyond the home into every relationship which a believer has. So let's begin, as does Paul in Ephesians 6, 5, in which he says, servants, or in this case, I want to mention employees, I'll show you why I say that in just a moment, work as unto the Lord. In verses 5 through 8, he says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So when he deals with servants, the Greek word translated servants in this text is the word doulos, as you probably should know already, and it means slave. And so it's important we understand the historical context in which this passage was written in, in is one in which there were both bond or there were bond servants or what we would refer to as slaves. And so there were those who were bound to serve others, bound to serve these other men. They were under their headship, they were under their uh their their domain, if you will. And so they had to serve. You remember back, I believe it's in Exodus, where you find the account of the bond servant in which he would say, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children. I will not leave even when he was free to go and he would stay and choose to stay and serve under that master because he loved the master and he loved his family and he would be set free without his family if he were to leave. But he loved all of them so he served willingly and thankfully under them rather than leaving them. And so there was, there was this, this uh, bond service or this slavery that existed. But as we consider Paul's exhortation in this portion of scripture, we can glean from the truth Paul states as it relates to our lives, even in our present culture or, or our world. And I would say that this obviously relates to that of the workplace. And when you speak of, again, masters and slaves. And for instance, when we are employed, we are selling our time, we are selling our skills, we are selling our abilities to someone else. We are submitting ourselves under them as they would lead or as they would dictate what must be done. And this means that whoever it is who employs us, obviously, therefore, has the right to instruct us concerning what they want done and how they want it done. And while it is true that anyone can walk away from such employment at any time in our culture, and in most cases for any reason, the fact still remains that if someone accepts a job, they are submitting themselves to another's oversight and are obligated to perform according to the desires or instructions of the one who has employed him or her. So while the historical context of Paul's instruction may not apply to our present day culture, the principle of what Paul states is still more than accurate for the society and culture in which we live. Because though we do not have masters and slaves in the same context as that in the day in which Paul spoke and wrote, the fact still remains that we have people that are 
are instructing and leading over others who submit themselves willingly, in some cases, to that leadership. And, and of course, they are bound to perform according to the desires or to the instruction of those who are over them. And so with that, understood, with that understanding, let's look to verses 5 through 7 as we continue, as Paul says, to serve as unto Christ in Ephesians chapter 6. Be obedient to them that are your masters. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. With this instruction, Paul calls slaves, and our, we would say employees, obedient to those who are in authority over them. In doing so, Paul provides that the way this is to be done. He says, first, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. The command to be obedient that Paul provides here in this verse involves one hearing or listening to the instruction of one who is in authority over them. So Paul is commanding that those who are under authority of another have the proper respect and that they pay attention or give ear and lend ear to the instruction that they are given. And then he goes on to say to do so with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Here's again that common ground that servants are to serve as unto Christ, unto men. The noun fear means profound or respect, and the noun trembling implies awe, and the term singleness of heart it means sincerity. And so Paul is instructing that these slaves, our employees in this case, or as we might understand, to sincerely pay attention with profound respect and awe of the authority that is over them. Most importantly, Paul then says this is to be done as unto Christ. So this is something that is to be done as unto the Lord. In other words, we're not living our lives unto ourselves. We're not even living our lives unto others, though we serve others. We are to serve as though we are serving Christ because that's really what we are doing as we submit to his authority over us and whatever authority there might be that is over us in the flesh, we cannot be, if they truly are over us, we, we are to submit to them as unto the Lord. Now again, this is not to say that we are to disobey the clear teaching of Scripture and listening to those that are over us, but it's saying that we are to submit in our service that which is to be expected in a proper manner, but not in order to gain the the. Uh, praise of men, not as men pleasers, but as unto Christ in humility and recognizing the order that God provides and how that in submission to the authority in the proper manner is also going to demonstrate the glory of God in and through us as we submit ourselves unto the preeminence of Christ. He goes on to say, please not, or please the Lord, not men, verses 6 and 7 of Ephesians, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. It is not uncommon, uncommon for men to act in a self-serving manner. In other words, it's easy for men to do things for self-exaltation or promotion or out of desire to recognition for their actions. Paul provides this warning, however, for this verse. Uh, and he states, he explains that such behavior, as I mentioned, is not about serving or pleasing others, but it is to be done in submission to the Lord as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And so he provides this warning for this very reason, that we are aware that we are not attempting to promote ourselves. We're not attempting to exalt ourselves, even in our service, and we are to do the best that we possibly can for the purpose that we are serving Christ, we're not serving men. 
And our lives should automatically already be revealing this truth. It's, are we to speak the truth? Yes. Are we to live in the truth? Yes. It's not one or the other. So as we are living in the truth or as we are speaking the truth, our lives should be supporting that which we are proclaiming. And as we proclaim the truth, it should be done from the foundation of a life that is rooted and grounded in the truth. And so it shouldn't be that we have to announce all these things. We should... Our lives should so be lived and the words which we communicate to others should be such that it is evident that we are seeing ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and his preeminence, which is then a means by which such lives being lived in that manner are able to demonstrate again the glory of God in submission to the order that God has provided. Just as it is in the home, so it is to be in the workplace. And so the point of Paul addressing those who were slaves, is to provide them instruction concerning the importance of their testimony before God in daily living. And again, notice, it's not unto men that even the testimony is unto God. Now, that testimony unto God is lived before men, but we're not living unto men, we're living unto God. And that's so important to remember. It speaks about the heart and sincerity that this is to be done in, not towards other people, but unto the Lord. The true test of one's testimony is evidenced by the consistency of one's behavior in home and in the world. So it's not just one or the other, but it's both. Paul explains in his epistle to Timothy that the purpose for this exhortation is that the Lord's name and doctrine, the Lord's teaching, not be blasphemed. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul wrote, "...let as many servants as are under the yoke count their masters worthy of all honor." that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed, his teaching be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort. So here he says that servants are to count their masters worthy of honor that the name of God and his doctrine and his teaching not be blasphemed. And that masters... The believing, they that have believing masters, let them not despise them. They are brethren, but that rather they are to do service as faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. He says, teach these things, exhort others in these things. And then third we see, from verse 8 of Ephesians 6, the master rewards. He says, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Now remember, good is not defined or dictated by you, by the church, or by society, Rather, it's by God. God is good. He's the only one who is good, and he's the one who has the right to define good. And so he does. And so when it says that, that every good thing or good thing that any man doeth, that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall I receive of the Lord, we have to remember that good is really that which is godly. So this is, again, one who's in submission to the preeminence of Christ, living their lives accordingly, that then godliness is a product of submission to Christ. That will be the product. And that God rewards that. He's not rewarding attempts we make to do good things. He rewards our submission unto him that he work in and through us to his glory and to his honor. And so we must recognize that, that in this verse when he states every good thing or whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free, whether he be a slave or, or not, that the Lord sees the heart of man, including the intent and motive behind all that is done. And the Lord honors his word, and therefore those who submit to the Lord and his truth 
will receive the reward of following after the Lord. And there's no joy nor, no, no joy nor reward like that of being in fellowship with the Lord. In Colossians 3, 24 and 25, as we've already read, Paul writes, Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So here he's saying again in our text, and it founds more so upon that in Ephesians, as I mentioned, but in our text he's saying, the same, he's giving us the same truth, saying that the reward uh, of those who are submitted to the Lord, serving him, that, that that is going to be given by he who is our heavenly master. But yet if those who refuse to submit themselves to the preeminence of Christ and, and serve even in a physical realm as unto the Lord, that the wrong also will be counted and, and receiving uh, the, the recompense of that reward, if you will, or the consequence of that, of that action. He goes on to say, if he, in Colossians 4.1 now, if ye then be risen with Christ, dealing with masters, masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Paul further exhorted masters in his epistle to the church at Ephesus by stating, as we read, that masters are employers in this case, as we're going to look at it and view it from an understanding of context in our own culture and society. He says, rule with reverence for God and grace towards others in Ephesians 6, 9. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him, which aligns with what we've read in Colossians. Paul's instruction for masters to not threaten their slaves goes back to an Old Testament law concerning hired servants. The law declared in Leviticus 25, 43, thou shalt not rule over him with rigor, but shall fear thy God. So the masters are to be mindful that they have a heavenly master. And remember something, please remember this, no matter whether you, some of you may be employed, some of you retired, some of you employ employers, regardless of your lot in life, we are all still servants. Regardless, we are all still servants. And so we are to view our lives as such. Even if we have positions of authority, of rule, even if we have positions of oversight, even if we are bosses, let's say, or employers, we are to be mindful that we are to be serving Christ within that position. And that we are not to be heading high-minded and think of ourselves as greater than or think of ourselves is more important or think of ourselves as something more than those who may even serve under us. And this is so important. Now look, this is important in the home because again, though husbands are shepherds and, and fathers are to shepherd their children and wives are to do the same with their children, but while husbands are, are the shepherds of their homes, that is not to say that the husband is more important than the wife. In fact, Scripture teaches that the wife is the weaker vessels. The husband are to, our husband's already mindful of that. But Paul also taught us that wives are the glory of the husbands. And so we are to recognize that as well. And so in understanding this, we are not to exalt ourselves. We're not to think of ourselves more highly than we should. And even in shepherding, even in disciplining, even in exhorting, even in instructing our homes as men, and this applies to women as well with your own children, we are to never forget that we are to do all of these things heartily as unto the Lord, that we are to remember that we are servants of Christ no matter what other position we may be in. First and foremost, we are His servants. He is our Heavenly Master. He is our Father. We are His children. And so we are to be mindful of that. Masters are what could be, again, considered employees in our culture, or employers, 
are warned to treat those under their authority in the fear of God, in the reverence of God, who is their master, and to deal with in grace towards those they rule over as God is also gracious. I surely uh, want to exemplify myself, whether it be as role of shepherding the flock or whether it be as, uh, of course, shepherding my wife or my family, whether it be as an employer who has people working uh, for me. I want for the manner in which I shepherd my home and shepherd the body of Christ and as well uh, employ others under me. I, I desire for that relationship to be reflective of the relationship that I have with Christ and that that be a testimony to the grace that I have received of God, not simply some power trip over other people as so many often find themselves to, to fall into that snare or trap. So maybe we'd be mindful of this. But again, I, I think what's so important, and I think it's interesting that in Ephesians, or I'm sorry, in Colossians 3, that Paul does not include masters. He first, in chapter 317 and chapter 323, sandwiches all these relationships with exception of master within these. But I think, again, an important truth to remember in that is that even the masters are servants. That's the reality. And so even masters are really included in the servants, just not in the context of the flesh necessarily, in a physical realm, but that they are servants of Christ. And that's to be ever before us in all of our dealings with others. So it's imperative that both those under authority and as well those who are in authority to live their lives in submission to the Lord who is the true master over all. The reason all of this is even worthy of being included in this exhortation is given to us by Paul in his epistle to Timothy as we read a moment ago. Listen again, so important. 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that or so that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Let me just say it to you like this. As believers in Christ, we speak a lot about this, as we should, of the grace of God. Do we not? Do we not? We speak a lot of the love of God, do we not? We speak a lot of the mercy of God. Why do we speak of those things? Because we are in a relationship with the God who is gracious, with the God who is loving, with the God who is merciful. And we speak of these characteristics or character traits of God or his expressions of his attributes, his expressions of who he is. And we speak of these things in an endearing manner. The grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. And if this is true, which it is, and we've received of that, then how could we possibly truly appreciate such grace, love, and mercy if we are not exemplifying that, if we are not de demonstrating that to others who maybe know nothing of this grace, love, and mercy in the relationships that we do have with them. Or even more so, how is it that we could possibly deal with those or have relationship with those who are fellow believers in Christ and not demonstrate the same grace and demonstrate the same love and demonstrate the same mercy? If we've received of this and Christ is our life and we're living under submission to our heavenly master, how can the same things that he has given us and he is our life and he is living now in and through us, how can those same attributes not be demonstrated in the relationships that we have with others? He says, so that the name and doctrine of God be not blasphemed. God is not a respecter of person, he says, 
All are under his authority and lordship and are therefore to live according to his word and for his glory. The relationships within the workplace as in the home are to be an overflow or an extension of one's relationship and fellowship with the Lord. Whether you are under the authority of another in the workplace or you are the one in authority over others in the workplace. If ye then be risen with Christ, do all things heartily. And the word heartily here means from the soul. That's what's actually being stated. Do all things from the soul unto the Lord and not men. Wives, you are to submit as unto the Lord. Husbands, you are to lead and shepherd and love as Christ loved the church. Children, you are to obey in the Lord. Parents, you are to nurture and teach and love in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, employees, you are to serve as unto the Lord. Masters, you are to, you are to lead and oversee, remembering you have a heavenly master who rules over you, and that you yourself are, remain a servant unto the Lord. So if ye then be risen Christ. See, all of, these, all of these relationships, all of these matters which are spoken of in these verses we've studied over the past many weeks now, are not isolated verses or isolated texts of Scripture, but they are all in relation to, if ye then be risen with Christ, put off the old man, all his deeds, put on the new man, which is created in the image of Christ, Therefore, allow every one of your relationships to be an extension, to be a reflection, to be demonstrative of the relationship and fellowship that you have with your Heavenly Master, with your Lord, with your Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. If ye then be risen with Christ. If this is true, then this is what should be. This is how it should be seen and reflected through you. Let's stand together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word.